Hey, fraudster. Welcome to the fourth episode of Beat Your Imposter, the podcast dedicated to defeating your brain at its own game. I'm your host, Eden, and you can find me on Twitter at Eden Waffles. If you missed the last episode, I'll give you a quick recap. We talked about the imposter cycle, how to understand and tolerate the fear of failure, and how to understand and accept the fear of success. Today, we are going to discuss the common ground in family histories that many of us imposters share. We'll also be talking about the four main styles of parenting, and also how your parents' parenting style during your childhood affects you now as an adult. The usual disclaimer before we begin. This podcast is not a substitute for professional therapy. It is not here to cure or fix you. The ideas in this podcast are intended to be used as instruments of thought, insight, and discussion into the issues of self-esteem, anxiety, and our careers. All right, let's get into our first topic. While conducting research in the 70s for their paper, The Imposter Phenomenon, Suzanne Imes and Pauline Rose Clance noticed a really interesting pattern of family history development. They found that there were two distinct groups that many in fact, most of all the people that they were speaking to about their imposter would fall into. The first group of imposters were labelled as children as inferior, especially when compared to a sibling or even a close relative. Growing up, their family would frequently scrutinise all their efforts to impress, only to then concentrate praise on the more successful sibling. The left-behind child would then work hard academically, perform exceptionally well, but never really able to prove themselves to be intelligent and competent. As that child matures, they begin to internalise these feelings of inferiority. Despite their best efforts, the people that surround them, that are meant to support them, are only unimpressed and generally blasé about all of their achievements. And now the adult feels conflicted. On the one hand, they feel that deep drive to find ways to validate their intellectual competence to their peers. But on the other hand, they think maybe their family is right after all. And they doubt that intellect. They wonder, how exactly did they get all of those marks in school? They wonder if maybe it was just favouritism that got them there. And thus, the imposter emerges. The second group of imposters shows a different family dynamic. Instead of inferiority, the child is hailed as a superior one. The family holds their child, that child, to impossible standard. They tell them that they're the smartest, the funniest, the most talented, the most interesting person in the room, in the classroom, in the world. Parents of these kids will brag constantly about how their child learnt to walk and talk or read exceptionally early or were speaking full, clear sentences before their peers of a similar age. 
And as that child grows, they begin to develop difficulty maintaining the facade of perfection that their parents have so eagerly tuned them into. They realise that it's a rather sizable burden, those egregiously high expectations that their family have placed upon them. The child feels that to not meet these expectations would crush all the people around them, especially if their performance is anything less than perfect. Grades and average grades, average performances, they're just absolute blights on a perfect record. And as they grow and they make mistakes that everybody makes because we're human, well, they begin to distrust their parents' expectations of themselves. And these doubts, they begin to grow too. Because if they aren't as smart as what mum and dad believe them to be, then they must be stupid. And they must have to work twice as hard to make up for it. And thus, the imposter emerges. I find it really interesting that Imes and Clance were able to find these categories and kind of establish, and establish that that these two persistent types of families existed. I also feel like we're actually ignoring what could potentially be a third group of achievers. Let me explain. I feel that there is a third group, and that group grew up with an inconsistent mix of both types of parenting, both types of families. Some parents are good with young children and not so good with teenagers. Some parents are the opposite. They're terrible with young children. They're better with teenagers. For myself, I felt that my parents were better with younger children than they were with teenagers. And I don't feel that they were necessarily emotionally equipped themselves to be able to deal with the budding emotional volcano that was myself and my siblings in our teenage years. And so because of this, I experienced both types of parenting. When I was younger, I was often compared to my sister as being inferior, perhaps because I was younger. Moving into my teenage years, I developed quite a bit of a competitive streak within myself to compete against myself. I felt I had to always outperform my own marks and always outdo myself academically because that was my strength. <laughs> I was more academic than I was uh, physical. As I grew into a teenager and I would be constantly outdoing myself and performing very well academically, my parents then began to change their tune and they began to brag a lot more about my accomplishments versus my sister's accomplishments. So the focus shifted from my sister to me. As I look back on my own childhood, I find that exceptionally interesting. And this is why I feel that we are missing a category. I feel like we're missing a category where a child received two different types of parenting over the course of their child and teenage years, which has then manifested into some really hard self-esteem and anxiety issues that need to be dealt with. If I could look back now on myself and 
my upbringing. I feel that I was very hard on myself as a teenager. I felt I had to enroll in this, the subjects that were hard because I was smart, right? I got told I was smart. And if I performed badly, well, I was just lazy. I was unmotivated, you know? So I actually thought that was me. And I thought that when I performed badly, it meant that I was a terrible person. It actually didn't because I realize now in my 30s, I had an undiagnosed learning disorder. I had ADHD. It's a story for another day, however. <laughs> but I feel that this kind of information is very important to consider because if we're receiving two different styles of family pressure as we grow as children into teenagers and adults, then we are going to be dealing with very, very conflicting and possibly constantly changing views of ourselves and the world around us. So have a think about that today. If you have any stories of your childhood that you feel fit those categories that you'd like to share with me, my DMs are always open on Twitter. Feel free to share it. I would love to share a lot of stories of other imposters and their own self-reflection of their childhood because I do find it very fascinating. I'm into psychology, obviously. <laughs> I like brains. So that about wraps up topic one, or at least now the lecture that is topic one. And now comes the homework. Your task today is to think about the following questions while you let what we just talked about just kind of settle down in your brain. You're welcome to write down the questions if you want to, because that always helps, but you don't have to, obviously. Are you ready? Here are your questions. What kind of expectation was placed on me as a child? What kind of expectation was placed on me as a teenager? Did my parents tell me I was special and smart and better than everybody else? Or was I told I was smart, but I just wasn't trying hard enough? Are there times in my life where I can remember my parents forcing me to do something I didn't want to do academically? And was my life one big comparison or exhibition? So have a think about the answers to those questions. And when you're ready, we'll move on to topic two. Let's move on to topic two. So the aim of this topic is to understand more about the styles of parenting and how they can affect us as adults. Let me start by saying I'm a parent. Woo. <laughs> so this topic has been very useful in understanding the style I want to follow while I'm raising my children. This has also helped me understand the style of parenting that I was originally raised in. And it has also helped me make connections between things that I say that I may not mean to say that 
are actually reflections of my parents saying those things to me as a child. I'll get a little bit more into that later. I understand that these kinds of topics are quite confronting to listen to, so we will take our time today. I always encourage regular breaks. It's not nice having to think about the childhoods that we experienced, especially when the bad stuff usually comes through first, and then after a while maybe the good stuff will come through, <laughs> depending on what kind of mood you're in. It's, it's very emotionally taxing, so we'll just take our time. I'm actually starting to think that maybe this whole podcast is just in this style of ridiculousness, uh, ridiculously hard confronting topics. Um, you knew what you were signing up for when you clicked on that play button. <laughs> all right, all right. So I will quickly establish a little bit of history. Um, these parenting styles are taken from Diane Rimbord's work in child development psychology. She originally created three concept styles of parenting, and the fourth one was added later on down the track. These styles are seen in cultures across the world, sometimes being favoured by different cultures more than others, but years of research into twin studies and developmental psychology has confirmed that the parenting style you were raised in is equally as important as the genetic makeup that you are made of. How interesting is that? So if you come from a family of a lot of presupposed mental illness or medical conditions, it is likely that you will find it easy to overcome these mental obstacles just by having a good supportive family that can help you work through those problems when you are a child or when you are young and they are manifesting. Like how interesting is that? Hmm. So I think I'll stop procrastinating here. Without further ado, let's discuss the main styles of parenting that we see in human behaviour. The first style of parenting is the authoritative style. And I started with this one specifically because this is the style that we in the Western culture should be practising. This is the most common used style that has the most success. The style is high demand, high response. Parents have high expectations for achievement and maturity of their children, but are also highly attentive and sensitive to their child's feelings, opinions, and input. These are the parents that set clear boundaries, but encourage discussion where possible and they will filter down information to a cognitively acceptable level. The authoritative parent is a parent that will get down on one knee and hug their child when they are crying. They are the parent that says, I hear you, I see you, and I understand that you are upset right now. Children of this parenting style will typically develop into adults that possess good levels of self-esteem, competent social skills, and present with just better overall mental health. They don't tend to display deviant behaviour, and they will just grow up to be regular, working, productive members of society. In their own unique human way, of course. 
So yes, that is the best style for parenting. And now I will introduce you to the next style of parenting, the authoritarian style parenting. It's also known as the disciplinarian style of parenting, and this style, interestingly enough, is often favoured in the Eastern cultures with good results. The typical tiger parenting trope and jokes and memes that we hear is almost very accurate <laughs> representation of the authoritarian parenting style. So this style is high demand and low response. The authoritarian parents will demand total obedience of their child with no room for questions, no room for opinions, no room for feelings, thoughts, emotions, nothing of that. No, not going to happen. All right. Discipline is stern and punishment is used as a way to control unwanted behavior. The authoritarian parents aren't the kind of parents who hug. They're not the kind of parents that are typically nurturing or seen as emotionally available. A crying child isn't hugged, they are instead told to get over it. Children of the authoritarian parenting style, especially in the Western Hemisphere, just tend to be overall unhappy. They're often insecure, they're needy, they have low self-esteem, they have lower social skills, and they also have a higher instance of behavioural problems. Unfortunately, many children raised of the authoritarian parenting style in the Western Hemisphere end up developing unhealthy relationships with food, with people, with alcohol or with drugs to cope with what was a very tough childhood. The next style is the permissive parent, also known as the indulgent parent. This style is low demand high response. This is the kind of parent that likes to have very relaxed rules about the house and very loose boundaries that are often crossed. They are often reluctant as parents to enforce authority when necessary and they are often seen to be very dismissive when rules are broken. But they're very responsive to their child's emotional needs. They're very attentive caring, very sensitive to the mood. They are the type of parent that will offer a treat or a chocolate when, <laughs> when their kid is sad, when their child is sad, you know, because they can see that their child is hurting and they want them to feel better. They love to treat their kids because they love to see their children happy. And let's be honest, who as a parent or anybody who has affinity with kids doesn't want to see a kid happy? I think the worst, the worst thing I have ever seen is a toddler crying. Oh, it just breaks my heart every time. Or a newborn crying. Oh, anyway. <laughs> but a permissive parent just loves to treat their kids and loves to make them happy. And as a consequence, they find it really hard to say no. The permissive parent has trouble sending their kid to timeout because they feel bad for disciplining them. And they'll often find ways of justifying their behavior as a reflection of themselves, such as my child threw a ball and it hit a window and the window broke. Well, I'm not going to send my child to timeout because it was my fault for giving them the ball and saying they can play indoors to begin with. 
That's a pretty extreme example, I know. <laughs> That's a pretty extreme example. <laughs> so children of this style, as they grow older, they tend to find it very hard to follow rules. They find it very hard to understand and respect boundaries. They have poor self-control. They can be quite self-centered. And they also find it difficult to interact with others because they just don't have a concept of social etiquette or a boundary. They're that friend that pitches a fit in the middle of the mall because the group wanted to go and eat lunch somewhere else, somewhere different to where they the, the tantrum-throwing friend wanted to go. That's that kind of person. They're so used to getting their own way that when they don't get it, they'll often revert back to childish tantrums and yelling and fits because that was how they got their needs met as children. They weren't explained that rules had to have to be followed. They weren't said no to. So when somebody says no to them as they get older, they find it very, very difficult and they'll often internalize that no. And that's where that tantrum comes from. <laughs> and the last style of parenting is the neglectful parent, also known as the uninvolved parent. The neglectful parent is low demand, low response. The parent just doesn't really care. They're pretty indifferent to their child's needs and child's performances. Tantrums aren't met with any response, oh, except maybe just walking away from it. A stressful child isn't often soothed. A child performing badly at school isn't spoken to. Heck, a neglectful parent is the type of parent that doesn't ask how their child's day went and what they learnt at school. Often, though, the neglectful parent, they're not really neglectful by choice. They didn't start out with the intent of being so distant from their child. And children as well become more independent as they get older. If you're feeling right now, oh gosh, I'm very neglectful of my teenager because my teenager pretty much, you know, is independent and does what they need to do during the day and I'll check in on them at nighttime and make sure that everything's been going well and that they're having, that they're just traveling all right. Well, that's not neglectful parenting, <laughs> so it's okay, you're all right. Um, a neglectful parent sometimes might be in a position where they simply can't be available for their child. They might be a sole parent who has to work a couple of jobs. They might be in a bad financial situation. They might have physical or mental health issues themselves that need, that take priority over their child. The neglectful child is often a very independent kid, very, very independent. And this is because they're forced to grow up early. They're forced to learn how to get their own breakfast at a ridiculously young age, an age where you where you clam up at the thought of them holding a milk carton and pouring milk. Well, they learned to do that because nobody else would do it for them. They're also like little parents themselves, especially if there are young, younger siblings involved. They're often quite uh, emotionally empathetic and uh, will take control of situations uh, because nobody else would, so they had to do it themselves. 
But these children are also more impulsive. They find it hard to self-regulate their emotions because they were never taught how to regulate them. Often these types of children will develop unhealthy, addictive behaviours or deviant behaviours. More often than not, they'll end up with mental issues themselves, having never been taught to express their emotions in a healthy, natural way. So, here is how each style was conceived. So these four styles are categorised based on two dimensions of parental behaviour, demand and response. In a situation where a young child is throwing a tantrum in a shop because a parent won't buy them a toy, an authoritative parent will get down on one knee, comfort the child, validate their feelings, and find a way to either redirect the child's attention or communicate the reasons why they have said no. They will say things like, I can see you're upset, and I am sad that you are sad, and I understand you are sad you wanted the toy. We have many toys that we can play with at home. Why don't we talk about what toy we can play with when we get home? A permissive parent in this situation would empathise with their child's tantrum. Let's be honest, empathy is always a good thing to have, so, you know, no arguments there. (laughs) They may even try to hold out that firm, no, I said no, you cannot have the toy. But depending on the price of the item... The parent will think about it, their kid is melting down in the store, people are looking at them, it's stressful, they don't know what to do, the toy is only $15, you know, and they've been good at school, I I think, you know. So they'll come up with a justifiable excuse, all right, I guess I can spoil you just this once. An authoritarian parent in this situation would simply invalidate the feelings of the child. They would emphasise the no, and they would not move from their decision, but they will stand, usually stand over the child and just say things like, look, get over it, we aren't getting it, we're done. That's it. No toy. Simple as that. They may yank the child up if they're on the floor, you know, if you can't behave in the shop like this, then we're going to leave right now and you don't get that. They may threaten the child with, if you can't behave then we're going home and I'm going to get all of your PlayStation games and I'm going to throw them out. Or maybe they'll just continue the shop and just yell at the child while they shop, you know, like, oh, I can't believe you act this way in the shop and everybody's listening and look at you right now. Like you look awful, you know, so they'll just kind of keep going and they'll really bear down their emotional fury on that child until the child is finally quiet. And finally, a neglectful parent would just simply turn and walk away from the child. They would neither validate nor invalidate the feelings. They would just leave their child to work it out themselves. They'll be all right. You know, that child, they'll, they'll work it out. They'll be fine. And walking away is usually enough for a child's behavior to stop. Most parents know that sometimes you just have to walk away from a tantrum. And most parents also know that their kids won't go too far from them. So if you walk away and ignore a tantrum, your child will eventually stand up and follow you. You might be sitting here, either as a parent or a former child, and thinking to yourself, like, Eden, I just, I can't think of any examples where these styles were used. I really don't remember what my parents were as kids. And you know what? That's, that's natural. 
parental behaviour will shift depending on the environment, the behaviour, the child, and of course the time. And look, we're, not, we're all not perfect. <laughs> I, I've been yelled at by my mum over something really trivial and I've lectured my kids for something really trivial too. One isolated incident doesn't necessarily mean that a child's behaviour is being validated or invalidated according to a specific parenting style. It doesn't make me a bad parent if I ignore a tantrum. It doesn't make your parents bad parents because they said no to you that one time. (laughs) What we're actually looking for here is a distinct pattern of behavior. If you can say, well, look, my dad was a bit of a jerk when it came to me scoring marks because he liked me to have high marks, but he was also really encouraging, you know, if I made a mistake and felt discouraged from trying it again, or my mum once yelled at me because I ate all the hot dogs in the fridge, but she's always supported me and been there for me when I really needed her. Well, if you can say things like that, then you can assume that your childhood was fine. (laughs) It was filled with support and positive expectations, but also expectations that were attainable for a child at that particular point in time. But if, however, you can remember many times throughout your childhood where your parents would invalidate your actions or punish your bad behavior rather than rewarding good behavior, they would punish you, they were very unforgiving to your childish actions. So uh, so my, my six-year-old rolls his eyes at me a lot. That really, really gets my goat, but I won't. I won't punish him for that as that is just him displaying his six-year-old attitude. (laughs) So if your parents were quite unforgiving to you, your childish actions, or were just an overall looming presence, or if you felt that you were often talked into doing things like signing up for a particular degree you weren't interested in, but your parents thought that it would be a good idea or you thought it would make them happy or something like that, then your parents may not have used the recommended Western style of parenting, which is the authoritative parenting. Let's not forget as well, though, that there are factors of influence, such as a child's temperament. Some kids are really, really easy kids, and some kids are not. There are other factors of influence that need to be considered too. If a child has a learning disability or a disorder, this will obviously lead to perhaps poor poor impulse control or a a much um, harsher streak of stubbornness. Both of my kids are incredibly stubborn. Uh, so I do, I do see that, but I also feel that that is a part of, um, the ADHD as both of them have ADHD. So I understand that, which means it then falls on me as a parent to figure out ways around that stubbornness that make my children feel validated, but also (laughs) effectively get them to do what I want (laughs) because at the moment they are young anyway. 
There's also things such as substance abuse that needs to be considered here too. Some parents are substance abusers. Some parents need to have that first coffee in the morning before they can talk to their children. Some parents need to have a beer before they can have that same conversation. Some parents find it difficult to connect with their children when they are at a different stage or different level of intoxication or sobriety. So, for instance, a parent that is sober during the day is an authoritative parent and warm and receptive and very considerate of their child. Their child, But after three drinks, that parent becomes cold, they become distant, they become abusive, and they take on a more toxic authoritarian style of parenting. I'm going to leave it there because that is a lot to sit on. <laughs> no homework this topic though, so that's good. Actually, no, I take that back. Your homework is just chill for the next however long you need to. And just think about those parenting styles. When you're ready, we'll move on to topic three. All right, welcome back to topic three. Many parents don't realize this, but you actually only need to get it right three out of ten times for your kid to end up normal. Three out of ten times, that's a pretty low hit rate in my opinion. I, I feel that whilst there is always room for improvement, I do my best to adhere to the authoritative style of parenting. Just for all of you skeptics out there who think that maybe parenting style doesn't matter because, you know, well, you know I turned out okay and my kid, my parents hit me. Okay, okay, well, that, that's fair. The hard truth is there is no conclusive study that disproves the authoritative style of parenting as being the best and most recommended style of parenting. Meaning that while there are studies out there that show that there are definitely differences in context, kid, and culture, overall, for the Western culture, the authoritative parenting style is the one of choice. Now we have all of this new information about parenting styles and expectations, we can start to build a clearer understanding now of our childhood. We can start to see how our childhood and how our parents parented us affects us as an adult. And the more connections you make, the easier it make, gets to make these connections. So don't worry. <laughs> I've also had plenty of connections where I will remember a traumatic memory from my past and it will just bring me down into tears. So if this happens, that's okay. It's totally normal. Let the feelings come and pass over you and tell yourself it is okay to feel this way. So here's an example of a connection I made while I was doing this research. So my parents were very focused on my performance, especially in my teenage years. But they were not super affectionate parents. I remember being told that I was a very huggy kid and that out of all of the kids, apparently I was the only one that would hug and I would only hug my parents. However, this kind of low response parenting where I wouldn't really get the hugs and I wouldn't get the attention and I wouldn't get that emotional emotional validation because I never got that. As I grew into a teenager, I experienced a switch flip. So I became 
anti-affection. <laughs> I have become so anti-affection that I can't stand being touched. <laughs> I um, so my my partner, my my man, my man. Uh, my partner is uh, actually out of the house today. He has gone to get himself a massage because he's been working incredibly hard to clean our gutters and just make our house look amazing. So he's done a great job. It's well, well deserved. And I, I told him, go, enjoy, have fun. But he asked if I wanted to go and I said, no. I just outright said, no. I said, I would love to join you, but I can't stand being touched. Now, isn't that funny? Isn't that funny that after all of these years, after being in a very good relationship well okay no it had a lot had lots of struggles but <laughs> we've been in a we've been very stable we're very stable now but after all of these years because I didn't have huggy parents because my parents wouldn't really hug me unless out in public so for instance I got hugged on my graduation I remember that <laughs> but um I don't uh, I have uh, yeah both graduations actually yep no I got hugged on both of those but um if I met them out to have a meal with them after I moved out, I wouldn't get a hug. I wouldn't get a kiss on the cheek. I wouldn't get, I wouldn't get the um, the I love you goodbyes. You know, I I tell all my kids I love you, bye, I love you, have a great day every bloody time, every bloody time. So, but I never got. Maybe that's because I never got that. So there you go. <laughs> I think it's really interesting, and I think it's necessary for us who have imposter syndrome to make these connections as brutal as they are, and connections like that. Because if I didn't know that, if I couldn't actually point at the source of my anti-affection, my anti-hugness, then I can't do anything about it. I have worked hard to become a parent that will hug their child back. I'm proud of that. If you have a story of something like that where you have made a connection and you have worked hard to move away from the poor behavior and into a much healthier behavior, please tell me. Please tell me. I'm so interested. I feel that the more stories we have, the stronger we can all become because the more well-informed. <laughs> so if you have a story like that, please feel free to email me, hi at edenv.com, or you can hit up my DMs. You can slide on into my DMs on Twitter. I do answer them sometimes, depending on the DM. Another thing I can think of is, <laughs> I'm smiling now, but it, it is kind of funny. Um, my mum was also very passive aggressive. So when I was about eight, um, my brother was 10 and I think my sister was 11 we had this habit of just leaving our towels all over the bathroom floor, which um, my parents would constantly just be like, did you remember to pick your towel up? Did you remember to pick your towel up? Pick the towel up and put this back. Pick the towel up, put it back. You know, you know. So one day my mum got so angry that she wrote a letter and stuck it on the mirror, mind you, I I could only I, I it was like I, I I could only just reach and to see that mirror at the time because the I, I didn't have a stool so I had to like you know um I had to stand on my tippy toes. <laughs> she left us a letter telling us to pick our damn towels up, and she signed it from the maid. I just 
when you think about these instances of parenting, okay, so here's a good one. When I was learning to drive a car, when I had my L's, I had a session booked with a tutor, a driving instructor that coincided over my after school elective, which at the time was band. I used to play in the in the band at school. I played the flute. Anyway, um, I am a forgetful teenager. I have I was a forgetful teenager. I am an incredibly forgetful adult. And I have an, I have a very leaky memory. I have to write things and I have to put things in plain sight where I know I can see them because if I don't see them, I'll just simply forget. It's an ADHD thing. So I forgot. I completely forgot I had a lesson and I went to practice instead, band practice. After I got out of practice, I looked at my phone and I realized, oh crap, <laughs> I missed, I missed, um, my instructor, and he was waiting in the car park for a good half an hour before he left a message on my phone and said, yeah, I don't know where you are, but I'm going now. Bye. Okay, cool. I felt terrible, right? I already felt, I felt awful because I went, oh my God, this guy, man, like he's really nice instructor. He's been so helpful and nice. And even the message he left on my voicemail was nice. <laughs> like he was really nice about it, you know? And my mum picked me up and I was like, oh no, I have to tell them. So I got in the car and I told her, and she blew up at me. <laughs> she got very, very angry. And then she called my dad. And we met. <laughs> my dad was so mad about this, this, that he met us in the car park at Virginia because my mum had to stop and get groceries. So he could yell at me in the car park about how I had cost him $80 for a, a, a fucking, <laughs> how I'd cost him $80 for a session and how disappointed and how angry he was and how, you know, that reflects badly on him because I forgot this, this lesson and now they want, and this instructor won't want to take me back for any more lessons and blah, oh, I just kept going. It was awful. I just remember crying. I was just crying so hard about it. It was just awful. And then I went, okay. So my parents went into I went into uh, the Woolworths and <laughs> I called up the instructor and he was like, oh, no, it's fine. So I, I was like, I was ready to hyperventilate. I was ready to have an anxiety attack because I thought that the instructor was just going to go off at me like my parents did because at 16, you just kind of assume that everybody's parents are like your parents, or at least I did at the time. I was very sheltered. I didn't often go around to friends' houses, so I didn't really meet other parents. So I was calling up my instructor. <laughs> I'm just an absolute blobbering mess. And I'm like, I'm so sorry that I missed this. I'm so sorry that I missed that, uh, you know, that their uh, uh, lesson that we were going to have. And he's on the phone. He's on the other side. And he's like, hey, no worries. What? No worries. It's all good. I'm like, okay, well, I'll I'll pay you for the, you know, the, the, the lost time. And he's like, no, what? no, 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 don't, you don't need to do that. You know, well, no, that's fine. I, no, it's fine. You don't have to pay, you know. And he was so understanding. <laughs> he was so understanding. And it just, I remember this as being such a, this is such a huge pivotal memory for me as I look back now in my 30s where I realized something's not quite right with my parents. <laughs> like, are all parents, is that is that how they act? Do all parents get so mad 
about an honest mistake that we all just have to walk on eggshells to please them. I remember that point was when I began to really knuckle down and thinking that I was just this terrible person. Oh, I told my dad as well. To end, to end the story, I told my dad that we didn't have to pay for it. Like I told both of them that we didn't have to pay for the lesson and suddenly everything was fine. That was it. That was the only thing that was stressing about was the money. Keep in mind, my dad was actually working full time at that point and my mum was also working full time. So they had plenty of money between them. Mm, yeah. Like $80 could have been sunk here and there. It's like, oh, well, shit happens, you know. <laughs> but I don't really like talking about these kinds of stories, but I feel like these kinds of stories are quite near and dear to my heart and quite painful for me to express and share with you. But I want to share them with you because I want you to understand that there are memories out there that need these connections made. Now I've made that connection. I know now as an adult that most likely both of my kids are going to be like that and that they're going to have very leaky memories. And that's okay. It means that if they miss something important, I know now to react in a way that is much more understanding. My parents wouldn't even let me defend myself. They thought that I blew the lesson off and was like, nah, man, I don't want to learn to drive. <laughs> no, I don't want to learn to drive. I want to go play my flute. Hell no, I would have totally preferred to go take a driving lesson to playing the flute for an hour. Ugh. But they didn't let me tell my side of the story. They didn't even give me a chance to explain, defend myself, nothing like that. They just assumed that I was the worst person in the world and that I had cost them money. Probably because I'd cost them money. Not a nice memory to bring up. Lots of others, obviously, where that came from, but I uh, I think those are stories for, other, for another day. <laughs> so I think we'll leave it there with topic three. How's your brain? I hope that my stories gave you a little bit more insight into yourself and your own pasts. And I hope that the next time we get together in the next episode of our podcast that you'll feel a little more wiser about how you were raised as a child and how potentially you can look for red flags in your own behavior as an adult you can then modify from there next week we are going to be talking about the big one friends we're going to be talking about our friends in our adult lives and how they can impact us and our careers and it turns out, <laughs> I'll give you the teal deer here, the, the teal deer that I wrote down is, it turns out that some friends are actually hats and need to be booted to the curb pronto. <laughs> uh, Lady Spookaria really is keen about this particular topic, so we will be seeing her next week, and we're going to have a big old discussion about a lot of the friendships that we have encountered, and we're going to talk about categories of friends, we're going to talk about toxic friends and we're going to talk about how to boot toxic friends to the curb. So this is definitely not an episode that you want to miss. I, if you are here listening to this in the future, hello from the past. If you are listening to this in the present, hello from the present. And I am very sorry that my upload schedule is a bit patchy. I am unfortunately a parent. <laughs> I am a parent. 
My family does take priority, especially because my kids are so young. This does obviously impact my ability to grow my presence and establish a foothold for myself on the internet as some kind of uh, personal development and cooking influencer, I suppose. So if you do have a moment, I would really appreciate a subscribe and a like, a comment, a share, anything that you can do to help me grow and get the word out for this podcast because I feel like I am getting listens. People are listening now, which is awesome. So hello if you're listening. Obviously, you know, you are. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. But I just feel like it's not getting out there fast enough. I feel like there are so many people that we can help, but we need to start spreading the word. <laughs> so um, I will be doing a lot of that. I will be marketing the crap out of this podcast once it is all finished, but I just don't know when it's going to finish. So for now, any help would be much appreciated. <laughs> In the description of the podcast are all of the social media links. In the description of the podcast are all of our social media links. Feel free to jet over there, ask us a question. If you're having trouble getting to them, you can find me banging on about nothing on Twitter at Eden Waffles or on YouTube on my channel Eden V and also I have websites EdenV.com and ZombiesEatGrains.com. If you want to read a little bit more about what we talked about, check out the links to the source material below. There's lots of good stuff in there. So I would like to thank you from the bottom of my heart for being here with me and I will see you next time, fellow fraudster. Ta-ta!